Welcome to the Tamarin Learning Podcast, where host Dr. Kirby Ross-Plock speaks with experts on many topics relevant in the ultra-high net worth family wealth management space. Kirby is author of several books, including The Complete Family Office Handbook, and shares her expertise consulting with families and family offices. Kirby is also the founder of Tamarind Learning, an online wealth education platform that develops practical, foundational learning programs for beneficiaries to help them prepare for responsible stewardship of wealth. Welcome to the Tamarind Learning Podcast. My name is Kirby Rosbach. I'll be your host today, and I'm thrilled to have David McCombie with us. David is founder and CEO of the McCombie Group, which is a merchant bank that helps family businesses and businesses achieve their goal, perhaps ramping up, transitioning, exiting. So we're thrilled to have David as he has many, many years of experience on the transaction and the M&A side, and specifically in the area of direct investing and private equity. So today's podcast is all about private equity perils and pearls. So what's important to know if you're investing in private equity. And and maybe, David, that's a good place to start. You are a contributing author to the Complete Direct Investing Handbook, and you helped sort of lay out all the different private equity strategies and characteristics and implications. Maybe you could just share with us a little bit about what is private equity and who should be investing in private equity. Sure. Thank you, Kirby. I appreciate uh, the opportunity. So um, in, in a nutshell, a private equity investment is making uh, a, a private investment in a um, business that's not publicly traded. And the real, um, uh, the real defining factor of that is a high degree of illiquidity. So within the private equity uh, category, the umbrella, there's a number of different strategies that you may have heard of from venture capital to buyouts to growth capital, even different types of real estate, real estate fall within um, the private equity umbrella. And so when we talk about illiquidity, unlike a stock where you can buy it on command and exit probably within um, a few hours, when we're talking about private equity, typically the transaction times are at a minimum a few months to up to a year in terms of entering and exiting the business. So there are extremely high um, transaction costs and a lot of timing that's involved. That said, uh, private equity provides the opportunity to earn much higher returns than what you often would find in in the public markets. So should everyone invest in private equity and direct investment? Is this something mainstream or do you find that there's only sort of a unique bias for certain investors in this area? Yeah, that's a great question, Kirby. Um, and, you know, the, the answer is uh, no. Um, I think it's really dependent upon um, a number of different um, preferences and, and just characteristics of, of the investor. Um, first and foremost, I think it's important to just mention that when we talk about investing in private equity, there's different means or vehicles of how you could do it. And okay. I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, but, you know, first and foremost, you know, private equity is um, an illiquid asset class. It has the potential for much more volatility and typically has a long time horizon often before you get back your, your principal. So it may not be appropriate for um, different individuals depending upon their liquidity needs 
as well as their risk return um, you know, preferences or, or the risk tolerance. Um, you know, specifically when we talk about the different vehicles of, of private equity, uh, for somebody who's a sophisticated, you know, ultra high net worth individual, the, there, there's basically a spectrum of three different options that, that, that one would have to invest in it. Um, the first is basically saying, look, I'm going to be passive. Um, I'm going to invest either in a fund to fund structure or an actual private equity fund directly. Um, and you know the characteristics of that is it has relatively a, a, a low time commitment. It doesn't necessarily require a ton of personal sophistication or involvement in it. Um, and it also uh, requires or has the lowest dollar amount required to invest in it, right? Um, so you can have a decent amount of diversification with uh, amounts less than a million dollars, right? Um, the other extreme is basically for you to assume the private equity role position yourself, right? And say, hey, look, I'm going to do everything that they're doing. I'm going to find the deal. I'm going to hire and have internally all the capabilities to do um, the underwriting and the financing and, and then operating the business thereafter. Um, that obviously requires a tremendous amount of time commitment. Uh, it requires a very significant financial commitment, right? Because uh, you're not going to find the first deal. Um, the first deal that you find is probably not going to be the right one for you. Um, in general, talking to lots of different folks and from some of my personal experience, it can take multiple years to find the, the deal that, that, that you're interested in. Um, so by definition, that uh, investment strategy needs to require bigger check sizes, much higher involvement, and a much higher level of sophistication. And lastly, there's something in between those two, um, which would be participating on individual deals. Um, some people call it club deals. Other people will call it independent sponsor. Um, and the reality is that uh, there's lots of different permutations of where it could fall in the line between the two points of being passive or, or highly active. But functionally, what it means is uh, managers, uh, third-party managers that raise capital on an individual basis um, will, uh, will have different opportunities that you will um, decide upon and, and invest capital into. Um, and it's somewhere in between in terms of the time commitment that's necessary, uh, the level of sophistication that's necessary, um, and from what I find with, with families, um, it's typically what is most common uh, outside of just investing in a, in a passive fund. One last thing just to, to mention is, I think it also differs by the asset class within private equity, right? So what we typically see, or what I've seen with a lot of the family offices that I've worked with, is that um, there's a high propensity to do direct deals in some capacity in real estate because there's some familiarity with it, um, and it could be argued it's a, it's a simpler asset class than some operating businesses, um, as well as you often will find um, some uh, individuals doing some angel investing. Um, that said, uh, I think it's important when, when we talk about angel investing that, uh, that we segregate what is um, you know, truly an investment, that we're doing all our homework to make sure that we're being protected versus uh, something more equivalent to, um, uh, to play money or, or gambling money um, where we're writing relatively small checks, but we're probably not necessarily doing um, 
the the full uh, extent of homework that that probably should be done. Well, let's talk about that because I think one thing that's really unique about direct investing or investing in private equity is the diligencing, right? So how you mm -hmm. get to know what you're investing in and quite frankly, who you have on your team that are experts and really qualified, right? Either it's the financial diligencing, maybe it's the management, maybe it's the operational efficiencies. So how do investors go down this path? I mean, it's not, it's pretty rare that everyone encompasses all this expertise to be able to vet and diligence deal appropriately. How do you help families and what do you see as some of the best practices? Yeah, so um, I guess I'll answer your, your, your second question um, first. You know, one of the mechanisms and, and, and often how we um, have engaged with families is essentially helping when a, a third party deal gets brought to them and looking at it um, objectively and saying, hey, look, these are the, the pluses and minuses and with a final recommendation. Um, but specifically where uh, most families are likely gonna find these opportunities is um, in individual deals um, that are through an independent sponsor. Just to give a little bit of context, the sponsor is essentially the quarterback of a deal, right? And is the person who has been delegated the responsibility of doing the heavy lifting of finding the opportunity, underwriting the opportunity. If there's capital like financing that's necessary, they would do that as well, as well as then over, overseeing it after it's been um, uh, purchased and, and ultimately you know, disposing of, the, of that asset, right? Um, and so an independent sponsor typically tends to be a former uh, professional at a large private equity firm of some sort, or if not, they may be an operator with experience within their industry, and they're going to raise the capital for that specific deal that would be pitched to you, for example. Okay. Um, so in terms of answering, you know, what should they be looking for, right? I think it's nice to, um, to in that type of opportunity, I think it's nice to uh, boil it down to essentially three different areas that if I were in your shoes, I would I would want to get really comfortable with. The first is basically the deal itself, right? Um, do the deal fundamentals make sense on a risk adjusted basis? Um, is the return sufficient to justify the risk that you're taking on, right? The second component is really around the sponsor. So that um, individual that I'm talking about, you're delegating a lot of responsibility as well as some legal um, authority to this individual. You need to feel comfortable that this person is going to make good decisions after you've written the check and, and delegated that responsibility to, you know, to that individual. And lastly, um, to me, it's about alignment, right? So does this deal um, have uh, a structure where the sponsor and all the parties involved um, all win together or lose together, right? Uh -huh. And some of that is around, you know, questions like, are they um, having a fee structure where they can make money when, when you're losing money? Um, but as well, uh, it, it's also around, you know, how much are they investing into the opportunity and what's their level of conviction? Um, and, you know, their actions speak louder than words. Mm. Well, talk to us about what you think are some of the key perils and the critical pearls to 
why you would or wouldn't invest in direct investments or private equity and who you see doing it really, really well, like kind of the archetype investor who has been most successful. So um, in terms of, um, you know, one of one of the perils, I, I think the, the first area that I would I would mention is um, underestimating the amount of time and money necessary to make these investments, even if you're going to just allocate money to individual um, deals. Uh, what most people think about is, okay, the person asked me for a couple million dollars and, and that's the commitment. But what they fail to realize is the cost of, for example, finding all those deals. Um, often it requires a ton of travel. You may hire individual staff members to fully dedicate themselves to finding them. Um, just as a reference point, the average private equity fund invests in approximately one to 2% of all the deals they see. So for you to get that throughput, um, that's going to take a lot of time and, and money. Um, secondly is, as you go through that process, you probably are going to engage with different third-party advisors um, to look at it. But unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, um, before it's time for you to write the check, you may determine that this is not a good fit, right? And so you need to bake in when you think about your the, the, the true cost of investing, not just the cost of the the diligence and the professional fees for the deals that you do do, but the deals that you also choose not to do. And you need to, to, to uh, weight that in collectively because statistically or, or practically, you will have um, deals that for whatever reason, for the other side or for, you, or for, or for your side's um, reasons, you determine, hey, I don't feel comfortable with this and, and, and I'm not going to proceed. So that's one area that I think is, 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 is a pitfall because a lot of people um, can spend a lot of time and money, um, you know, pursuing it and looking at it um, and may have way too much transactional costs relative to the actual investment dollars that they have on the table. And what that means, fun, you know, functionally is uh, their returns are probably not going to be great on an after fee basis. Um, I think it's important to look at the opportunity cost when you're allocating capital and to say, hey, look, on average, um, you know, funds return somewhere around 10% net of fees. Uh, most private equity firms on, on average. If you're going to be doing stuff directly, you probably need to underwrite to at least beat that, right? And I'd argue that there's probably a premium that's necessary given that many of these deals are are smaller. Um, you know, in terms of in terms of the pearls, um, you know, ultimately, if you do choose to go into deals on it, you know, on an individual basis, you know, with independent sponsors, um, one of the most effective um, and and efficient ways of seeing deal flow is to participate in um, a handful of, of, of the conferences that are available for this specific niche. And the reason that's important is you can develop relationships with probably a hundred plus of these groups in a day or two period. Um, and so over the course of the year, they can contact you and show you opportunities in a relatively efficient way. Um, versus uh, what I don't um, recommend, which is just passively waiting 
um, and considering opportunities that may be pitched to you at the country club or wherever else, um, because at that point, your strategy is functionally being dictated to what by what you're reacting to, as opposed to you proactively saying, hey, look, for whatever reason, I like this, this strategy, I like this industry, um, I like this manager, and I'm going to, I'm going to try to, um, you know, I'm going to try to uh, allocate my investments to, you know, to capitalize upon that. That's great. That's great wisdom. I, you know, you hear that a lot that people, where did you source that deal? It was on the golf course or oh, it was on a ski vacation. Um, and I, I do agree with you that by the time it's gotten to you at that level, chances are it's already gotten to you know, everybody else that you're kind of, who would also be shopping that deal. And so may actually lose a lot of its fidelity um, and not be as um, cutting edge or opportunistic as maybe folks would like. I just want to make a little promo here for the Direct Investing Handbook because David has an awesome chapter all on the private equity strategies. And especially if you're getting into private equity, I think he really lays out well the landscape and the complexity, where you are in the cap stack, where you are in terms of risk. Um, and obviously this is your business and your practice is really helping families and individuals smartly engage in this domain that if you do not have the domain expertise, please, please, please um, find your David or find David because it certainly, it can be a perilous environment to invest um, but it also can have many pearls and, and lots of great opportunities that you really just won't find necessarily in the public market. So David McCombie of the McCombie Group, thank you so much for being here today on the Tamron Learning Podcast.